Father, we pray for the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit that we would understand rightly your word, receive it into our hearts, and be changed by it in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's this guy, and uh, this guy was uh, he's having some issues where he's having trouble connecting emotionally and physically with his wife, so he went to the doctor. So he went to the doctor, the doctor gave him a checkup and looked him over and he said, here's your problem, your problem is you're just out of shape. What I want you to do is I want you to run 10 miles a day for the next seven days, and then I want you to call me. So he agreed. So the next seven days, he ran 10 miles a day, and then he called the doc. And doc picked up the phone, and he says, so how are you feeling? He says, I feel great. He said, great to hear that. So how are you connecting with your wife emotionally and physically? He says, not so good. I'm 70 miles away from her right now. <laughs> Well, relationships can be complicated, not just uh, marriage relationships, but all human relationships can be difficult because we have a tendency from time to time to hurt one another. Some of you have been hurt deeply. Some of you have been offended, betrayed, even abused. What people really tend to want to do when they have been hurt is to want to hurt back. When they've been criticized, they want to criticize back. It's tit for tat. I mean, the human nature response is revenge. Get revenge. Well, we've been doing the series on the book of Proverbs on really how do we navigate 2021, 2021 and beyond with God's wisdom. And the book of Proverbs actually speaks a lot about the subject of revenge. In fact, in the Bible, it talks a lot about revenge, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, the first passage I'd like us to look at is Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, just to give you a flavor for the Old Testament teaching on revenge. Deuteronomy 32, 35 goes like this. God says, vengeance is mine and retribution. In due time, their foot will slip. For the day of their calamity is near, and the impending things are hastening upon them. So God is promising his people they don't need to take revenge. He will avenge them. He wants his people to know it's not their place to seek revenge when they are personally offended or hurt. Now, the book of Proverbs teaches a lot about this. Let's look at Proverbs 24, verse 29. Says this, do not say, thus I shall do to him as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. See, when we've been hurt or betrayed, insulted, our tendency is that we want to respond. We want to get back. We want revenge. But what God's word tells us is, don't get revenge. Trust God to avenge the situation, to bring about justice. See, God sees the whole picture. He's the only one who sees the whole picture. 
He sees all of the details and he knows how to bring the perfect justice at the perfect time. The Bible is very clear that God is a righteous judge and he will bring about justice at the right time for everyone who has been wronged. What he's, what he's teaching us is that we can trust him to do this. We can trust him to do it right. In fact, we can trust him to do it better than us. If we've been wronged or hurt, he knows the entire situation. He knows all the details. He knows how to avenge it. So the book of Proverbs tells us this, Proverbs 20, verse 22. Do not say, I'll repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will avenge you. See, when, when we have been hurt, our, respond, our, our tendency is to want to get back as soon as possible. And God is saying, don't do that. Wait. Wait for me to do it. And this waiting, waiting for God to avenge you will mean for us that we will have to trust him to do that. This is another trust test for us. You know, the Bible says we are to love God, obey God, and trust God. Perhaps trusting him is the hardest part. And so in order for us to learn how to trust him, he has given several trust tests in the Bible for us to learn how to trust. One trust test he has given and gave it in the Old Testament and it still applies today is the trust test of keeping the Sabbath. This Sabbatic period, this Sabbatic pattern still still works today because we have still been designed to be those who are to work six days and to rest on the seventh day. And God has committed to us that if we will obey him in this and trust him in this, what we're trusting is this. We're trusting that what he says is true, that he can make six days of work actually cause us to be more prosperous than seven days of work if we will rest on that seventh day. Now, of course, this defies logic. I mean, working seven days surely will make me more prosperous than working six days. Or studying seven days surely will make me do better on the test than studying just six days and resting. It defies logic to just to keep this Sabbatic pattern of working six, studying six, and resting one. But God has given us this trust test. And he is committed to make sure that we'll be more prosperous if we keep this pattern and if we violate it. It's a trust test. Keeping the Sabbath pattern is a trust test. So how are you doing on that trust test? But then God gives another big trust test. This whole idea of bringing tithes and offerings into the storehouse. Now, God has set this up. Some preacher or evangelist didn't set up this idea. God set up this pattern that here's how he wants his people to 
fund the kingdom work. That is all of us, me, you, all of us. We are to take 10% of all of the avenues. The word tithe means a tenth part. We're to take 10% of all the avenues of revenue that come our way, and we're to bring it to our place of worship. And Malachi called the storehouse so that God's work will get done here and around the world. But more than that, it's a trust test. God promises that if we will set a living off 100%, we'll live off 90 and pick a tenth and give it to his kingdom work. He promises that he'll make 90% go further than 100%. He promises to open up heaven and pour out blessings till they overflow to those who tithe. Now, again, this defies logic. How can 90% go further than 100% for me? That's the trust test. It defies logic. But God promises that he will get involved, just like he'll get involved in our Time, if we keep the Sabbatic pattern, he'll get involved in our finances if we keep the tithe pattern. Again, another trust test. Why? Because God is trying to teach us to trust him. Well, now we come to another trust test, and this is another big one. I think those two are big ones I just mentioned, big ones. In fact, those two I just mentioned are two trust tests that most Christians fail consistently. Now the third trust test is also a trust test that most Christians fail. The third trust test is trusting God to avenge you and not taking your own revenge. That takes a lot of trust. It's a trust test. Let's look at it again, Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I'll pay back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord. He will avenge you. You can trust him. He'll do it. But we want revenge right now. Wait. Wait. He'll do it. Why doesn't he do it right away? Because he wants you to trust him. He wants me to trust him. It's a trust test. He will do it. But can we trust him to do it? Just let it go. Let him do it. Now, some of you are at this point of thinking, but doesn't the Bible also say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Doesn't this seem to contradict that, what you're saying here? Well, the Bible does teach such a thing as an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but Jesus clears up the confusion about that verse shows that it's not a contradiction at all and explains what it really means. Jesus, the personification of wisdom himself, tells us how that works. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 38 and 39, here's what Jesus says. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. And whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, if we're going to understand what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount, we need to understand a little bit about the pattern of how Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Here's the pattern. What Jesus will do is he will, first of all, he will cite what the Old Testament says, what the actual Old Testament law of Moses 
says. Then he will point out how that law has been corrupted by the scribes and the Pharisees. And then he will clearly explain what that law means, how it really works in our lives. And he does the same with this pattern, with this pattern right here. So this eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, first of all, he's going to cite it. Now the Pharisees and scribes were corrupting it. And then he's going to explain what it really means. So where does it appear? Where does this verse appear? Because it does appear in the law of Moses. But the question is, where in the law of Moses does it appear? It matters. We're going to see in just a moment. Where does an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth appear in the law of Moses? Now, in Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, we have the moral code, the moral law. In Exodus chapter 21, 22, and 23, we have a series of ordinances, which the standard of the Ten Commandments are applied. So the moral law of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, when we get to chapter 21, 22, and 23, are now, that moral law is now applied to civic law, to ordinances, to how the government's to function, how the police are to function, and so forth. So what we have in Exodus 21, 22, and 23 are some case laws given with particular emphasis on damage to person and property. And it's in the course of this legislation of civic laws that the words occur, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. In fact, let's look. Exodus 21, verse 22 through 25. Now, I'll summarize parts of these verses here for you. It says this, if men struggle with each other, so there is a conflict. If there's any further injury, then you show a point as a penalty, life for life, eye for eye. Tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, and wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Okay? The context makes it clear beyond a question that this was instruction to the judges of Israel to how the courts were to function. It's not talking about personal revenge at all. It's talking about civic law how the judges were to judge in the courts. And you say, how how can we know that for sure? Well, watch this. Deuteronomy 19, verse 17 through 21. Then both men who have the dispute shall stand before the judges. And the judges shall investigate thoroughly. Then you shall not show pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. He's talking to the judges. He's talking about civic law, not personal relationships. Now, the civic law expressed the principle of exact retribution, whose purpose was both to lay a foundation of justice specifying appropriate punishment which the wrongdoer deserved 
And also it was to limit the compensation of the victim to an exact equivalent and no more. So actually, this law had a double effect of both defining justice for the courts and restraining revenge. Because it's, really, it's very clear in the Old Testament that the Old Testament also prohibits taking the law into your own hands and getting personal revenge. The Old Testament prohibits doing that on a personal level. But the scribes and the Pharisees, what they did in corrupting the law is they took this just retribution of the courts where it belongs and they applied it to the personal realm where it doesn't belong. So they tried to use it to justify their own personal revenge. That's what they tried to do. Although the law explicitly forbids taking personal revenge, even in the Old Testament law. Look what it says in Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So again, this, this excellent principle of judicial retribution was being utilized as an excuse for the very thing that it was instituted to abolish, namely personal revenge. Now, what Jesus teaches is this. This principle, though it pertains to the law courts, is not applicable to personal relationships. It's not. Our personal relationships are to be based on love and not justice. So Jesus is saying, do not take revenge on someone who wrongs you. Now we want to, we want to strike back. We want to hit back. But Jesus points out that all this does when we retaliate is further alienate the other person so that reconciliation, be, reconciliation becomes even more remote, the possibility even more remote and all it does is fuel the downward spiral of more hostility if we do that. And that spiral, by the way, of hostility is going to continue till someone will finally humble themselves and absorb a blow and choose not to hit back, swallow their pride, unplug that, you know, that Rambo-sized ego, And just not strike back, refuse to. And Jesus is saying, that's what I want my, pe my people to do. I don't want my people striking back. Insult for insult. Now, this attitude of turning the other cheek is, is in no way surrender. What it is, it is a love-driven strategy to stop the escalating violence in personal relationships. Now, it's important to notice here that Christ does not, it's not, what he's teaching here is not to forbid, I mean, he's teaching forbidding personal revenge. What he's not teaching here is, is any way encouraging any injustice or wickedness or dishonesty. He's teaching how we are to relate to other people on our personal lives. He's not teaching in that passage how the government is to function. 
how the state is to function, how the police are to function. Again, the Apostle Paul does, teaches the same thing. It's real interesting what Paul teaches the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 and what he follows up and teaches in Romans chapter 13. In Romans chapter 12, he's talking about our personal relationships. Let's look at it. Romans 12, 19. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's Romans chapter 12. Now we go to Romans chapter 13. Now notice what he's talking about. Now he's going to talk about the government's role. Romans 13, verse, starting in verse 1, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they have opposed, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Let's jump down here to this. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. The government is armed, the police are armed. They have weapons. They have authority and power. And it says this, for it is a minister of God. Now listen to this, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. So this makes it clear that though we don't seek revenge on a personal level, Romans 12, very clear about that. Jesus, very clear about that. Get to Romans 13. It's the responsibility of the state to uphold justice in our society, and to avenge the wrong. So, for example, if someone breaks in my house, a thief, I can catch that thief, and I can not take any personal revenge on him. I can make him a sandwich, give him something to drink while I'm sitting on him waiting for the police to show up. (laughs) I don't have to take personal revenge, but he's broken the law. And the police will avenge that. So we're not to seek revenge on a personal level. It's the responsibility of the state to uphold justice in our society. The same is true of those who have been abused. And I know there are some in this room, there's some online right now that you have been abused. What is to be your response to your abuser? Personally, you are to forgive them. They've broken the law, report it to the authorities. Now, to sum up the teaching of Jesus, he's not prohibiting the administration of justice, but rather he's forbidding us taking the law into our own hands. An eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, is a principle of justice belonging in the courts, belonging to civic law, not personal Relationships. What are we supposed to do personally? We're supposed to forgive. Mark 11, verse 25. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. I mean, it's, it's common to, to want to, 
the other person to somehow pay for it. And we'd like to somehow be God's instrument to do it. But when we've been hurt, we're supposed to forgive the other person. By the way, that's going to be part of the solution of us being able to let it go and move on with some healing in our own lives and finding some peace. Forgiveness is incredibly significant because when we forgive others according to what we just read, God forgives us. There is a connection between us forgiving others and God forgiving us. So we forgive them. Do we just forgive them? If they broke the law, report them. You can forgive someone and still report them. Forgive them, then what? Then Jesus says, then pray for them. Luke 6, 28, Jesus says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. So I forgive them, I pray for them. How do I pray for them? I don't pray, God, get them. I say, Lord, vengeance is yours, Lord. You, you've got that. I'm letting that go. How do I pray for him? He says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So as hard as that is to do, remember, this is a trust test. Let it go. Forgive them. Pray for them. Pray blessing on them. Then what? The Apostle Paul goes on, and so does Jesus. They both go on to say, and do good to them. Look what it says. Paul says this here in Romans 12 also. He says, but if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, what's interesting here in this verse is the Apostle Paul is quoting the book of Proverbs. Let's look what, what it says in Proverbs. Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. If your enemy's hungry, give him food to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. Now, what is this? What does it mean to heap burning coals on someone's head? Does it mean that you're setting their hair on fire? That's not what it means. In fact, I think I'm going to put this photo up on the screen. I want to give you an idea of, of how this actually worked. If someone was going to keep their fire going in the ancient world, sometimes they had to go borrow hot coals from somebody who would give them to them to keep their fire from going out. So they, and it was an issue of livelihood. It was an issue of being, staying warm in the winter. It was an issue of cooking. If your fire went out, you sure hope someone would be friendly enough to you to heap some hot coals in your container, which in the Middle East they carried on their heads, like that man in that picture is doing. So the whole idea here is, is that they can go home now and they have what they need. This is an act of kindness to put the hot coals. And it was an expression that then developed at that time of heaping hot coals on someone's head was to, act, was to pay kindness, to pay kindness even to your enemies. Why? Because that just might make them your friends. Or at least there'd be some level of friendliness. There's a sense in which it, it really does impact their response to you. Then he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil 
with good. The hope is that our, your kindness, doing something kind, would actually destroy your adversary's cruelty by making him into a friend. Now, when you see this and you think about it, some of you, and I've heard it every time I've talked about anything like this, someone will come to me afterward and say, Gary, but you don't know what they did to me. And I'll say it is, without God's help to do what we're talking about, it's impossible. But through Christ, you can do all things. You can forgive. He'll help you. You can pray for them. You can bless them. You can even look for ways to do something good for them. We live in the consequence of living in this fallen world is yeah, humans that hurt each other deeply. And we have got to be a people that are different than the rest of the world and that we don't hurt back. We, let, we trust God. So let me just summarize the message. So we don't avenge ourselves. We wait for God to do it. We trust him. This is a trust test. What do we do in the meantime? We pray for them. We, I mean, we forgive them. We pray for them. And we look for ways to do good to them. And then what does that do? That can positively impact them, and it frees and heals us. Let's stand for prayer. Ask Josie to come up. Because I know there's some of you here this have been deeply, deeply offended, deeply hurt, deeply betrayed, or even abused. And you're struggling with wanting revenge. And today, as Josie sings this song over us, I'm going to ask you during this song, and this, again, this is a trust test. During this song, just to come up and look, look at this as an altar and just say, today I'm letting it go. Today I'm saying, okay, Lord, here it is. And as you walk up here, just come up here. No one's going to bother you. Just come up here and say, Lord, here it is. This is the altar before the Lord. Here it is. I'm giving it to you. I'm letting go of my desire for personal revenge, and I'm letting you avenge. Let it go. During the song, I'm asking those of you that are struggling with this to come up here as an act of faith and let it go. And even as you're up here, as hard as it will be to do this, bow and pray for them. Pray for them. Father, we ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit right now, Lord. This is something we only can do with your help. So, Lord, we ask for the grace now upon your people to do this. We pray for Holy Spirit ability to do this. And none of us would walk out of here holding on. That sense of vengeance being ours when it's yours. So that we might let it go today. So as Josie sings a song, or if that's you, just slip out and come up here and just as an act of faith, say, Lord, I'm letting it go. Letting go of every single dream I lay each one down at your feet Every moment of my wandering Never changes what you see I've tried to win this war, I confess Hands are weary, I need your rest. Mighty warrior, king of the fight. No matter what I face, you're by my side. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could. 
down just lay it down just give it up we trust you lord we trust you that you will avenge that you will make things right that you're the only one that knows how to bring about true justice and lord we ask you lord even now we pray for those and we forgive them we pray for them we ask you to bless them lord we let it go We let it go. Now, Lord, would you just pour out your healing and your peace upon all of us. Enable us to walk, Lord, as people looking for ways not to bring about justice and wrong relationships, but to bring about love. Just teach us how to love, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen.